1: Welcome to another new episode of Undying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and once again, we're back at it with another new episode. Except, this is the second time I have recorded this episode, and the first time I recorded it, I got about 25 minutes in, and then I went and did my playback, and I sounded like I was in a tin can, again. And so I had to try to do a whole bunch of edits to it, couldn't get it to be fixed tried to remove any reverbs or any echoes nothing would fix it still sounded like i was in a can tin can i could change my pitch and make it seem like i was really low in this tin can of echoing and oh it just drove me nuts so scrap the whole thing and start fresh so uh, all right so <laughs> we're in matthew 18 we're gonna we're pretty much right in the middle of it today we're gonna look at the parable of the lost sheep and then we're going to look at if your brother sins against you. And so we're going to talk through these two sections. They're verses 10 through 20. Next week, we're going to look at 21 through 35, which is the parable of the unforgiving servant. And we're going to finish that off in chapter 18 next week. So that's the context for today's episode. That's what we will be focusing on here. Um, the only housekeeping tips I have, uh, we are going to do our rant 2023. It will drop on New Year's Day 24, and we will have... Um, a whole show dedicated to just covering topics. We'll probably deal with some of the progressive movements, uh, services and issues and things like that that have come up this year. We'll talk about um, obviously some false teaching and and some really weird stuff and everything that we've seen. Uh, And then we'll talk about some of the social issues that we've started to discover and unpack within this year. So Uh, those are two of my main topics. I'll probably come up with some more between now and the time I record, but, um, I'm hoping that will be kind of the jumping off point. And I I don't know if I'll get a guest. Um, I'd like to, but it's not, it doesn't always happen. So if I don't probably be a shorter episode, if I get a guest, then we could probably hit the hour, hour and a half mark, but we'll see. So that is, um, that big piece. The other one is if you are interested in helping me get my book published, um, shoot me a message on Instagram. You can hit the link in my bio on Instagram. It takes you right to the give, send, go page, and you can drop a few bucks in there. If you are, um, you know, willing to help support that, uh, all the proceeds for that will go to the publication of the book. So I won't take anything myself. And, um, but the goal is to have that wrapped up here soon. I want to get it edited and get the illustrations complete and, uh, get, uh, get it available if you desire to read it. So, uh, other than that, um, I just, I'm so mad at, at GarageBand for just like, it just like ruined my whole afternoon. I was so, I, I really enjoyed the content that I had in the last episode. Now I have to redo it all again, but here we are. We're going to get into Matthew 18, beginning here with the 10th verse. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go and search for the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of it. Of my father who is in heaven, that one of those little ones should perish. Verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults, between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every change, every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, Let him go, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loosen on earth shall be loosened in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they say, it will be done for by them, by my father in heaven, for where there are two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be among them. All right. So we got a lot going on here in these few verses. Uh, we've got this parable of the lost sheep, pretty straightforward parable, but it does signify a few things that we will be talking about. Uh, and when your brother sins against you, the first couple verses are pretty much cut and dry. They are what they are, but those last few verses can often throw some people for a loop. So we are going to crack into it and uh, see what we can pick out of uh, the text and see what we're getting here. So. We start here with uh, verse 10, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. So basically, you are to not cause a little one to sin. Now, a little one can be interchangeable for a young child, a young person. It can also even be a young believer, a new believer, or a weak believer, somebody who's still fresh in their faith, if you would. The call of a Christian is not to cause another one of us to sin. Do not cause a fellow believer to sin. This goes back to verse 6 that we talked about. Now, we should also make note, too, that the first couple of sections of chapter 18 are a carry-in. These verses are a continuation from those, I should say. So, verses 10 and through the end of the chapter, really, are all wrapped up in the first few verses of chapter 18. So, it's one continual thought. There is no time gap. There's no lapse or anything. So, this is one big piece. And it's helpful for us to read it in that aspect because Jesus continuously is talking about sin and he's doing so from various aspects. Remember last week we talked about the extreme uh, take uh, that Jesus has on removing sin from your life. And so he tells you to cut off the members of your body that are causing you to sin, your arms and your feet, your eyes, things of that nature. But that is not a real thing to be doing. You're not Called to go actually dismember yourself, but to uh, remove with vengeance the objects in your life that are causing you to sin, especially in today's world. If it's your cell phone, it's your computer, it's your TV, it's magazines, it's books, you know, if it's going to the bar, if it's, you know, whatever it might be, figure out ways to eliminate those things. So that is what we are called to do. So this thought continues on, and Jesus tells you not to despise one of these little ones. And then he goes on to hear the second part. And it, what's interesting is he says, for I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. So they have angels, these little ones and they're watching over them and they're reporting to the father. Now we could argue, yes, God knows all things and we would completely and hundred percent agree with that. However, we see a verse like this as well as what is written in Psalm 91 verses 10 and 11, where the angels are called to guard and protect you. So, if we have these two verses, then angels play a role in protecting humanity, and th- that's just the that's just what God has ordered, and we 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 see that in Scripture, and that's just the way it is. And we we could I don't I don't really care for the term, but this is kind of where a verse like this is coining the term guardian angel. Um, but I would say that we probably all, even the strongest of believers, the most faithful believers, have an angel watching over them but especially those who are young in the faith, those whom God is cherishing. And we see that really amplified here in the next couple of verses because they are the ones who God would seek out and find when they become lost, that lost sheep from the fold. So as noted, right, we've got the lost sheep that kind of comes out of the fold here. And this is the one that can potentially be like uh, the prodigal son. Uh, it can be the one that wanders away. Um, but this really has, you know, the, the kind of the impact, if you would, on many levels. It can be somebody who leaves the faith for a while, somebody who has struggles, somebody has doubts, and they, they just stop coming to church. They just lose faith. They lose hope. They lose that joy. And they've gone astray. And God sends somebody to that person usually a preacher or a friend or somebody to bring them the gospel. And so this is the you know kind of narrative of Christ finding the lost sheep. And those lost sheep are all of us who have been away from the fold of God and have now been called back into his family. And so whenever one of these are found, there's a great celebration and great joy found in heaven as well as should be in the church. When we have uh, sinners coming into the church and they're giving up those sins and turning their lives to Christ and worshiping and following Jesus, those are celebratory moments. And I don't think the church really um, pays enough attention to those those very important times in a person's life. And it's very important for the church to recognize that it takes a lot for a person to step in off the streets and admit they're a sinner and give themselves to Christ. It really does. It, 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 gives, it you're, you're giving up everything. And the church, I think sometimes kind of underplays that a little bit. And I, I would love in my church to have people coming in off the streets and never hearing the gospel before. And then, you know, just kind of throwing themselves down at the mercy of Christ. And I think that would be the greatest moment, uh, to, to celebrate. So that's really, you know, the lost sheep kind of in a nutshell, it's, it's again, cut and dry. It's pretty, um, pretty straightforward with how the uh the text is rendering itself, right? Christ goes out and finds his lost sheep, the lost people, the lost brides of Christ. And so however you want to chop it, it's pretty cut and dry. Um and then we move on here to verse 14. So uh it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish, right? So there's the argument that God wants all people to come to know him and that's demonstrated through scripture, God desires all people to know him and to believe in him and to trust in him and to worship him. And yet we find ourselves over and over again, running into the complications of that, not coming to fruition because people have hardened their hearts and they've turned themselves away from Christ. And they've turned themselves away from the promise of the gospel. And they've turned themselves into and towards their own sin. We see it with Pharaoh in in Exodus, right? He hardened his heart. God even hardened his heart to demonstrate his power to Moses and the Israelites. And while we would argue that God can do this to all people, people also have the ability to harden their heart because, you know, I don't want to get into that whole like discussion of free will because we don't have free will when it comes to a monergistic religion that Christianity is. It is God doing the work. He's the one who is coming to us. He's the one giving us the faith However, we have the ability to, to walk away from the gospel and the promise. We have the, the ability to uh, forego it, to igni- uh, deny it, reject it, ignore it. We have those powers. And so that's not to say that the gospel is weak when it comes to man's heart. It's just simply that if a man has his heart hardened, the gospel is just not going to do anything to it. The, the Holy Spirit isn't going to waste his time in that moment and move on now. It could take over years and years. The softening of that and finally somebody coming to know Christ, that could very well happen. But in the very one single time moment that a gospel is preached and the Holy Spirit is moving and that person has a hard heart and just flat out rejects those promises, that's not the fault of the Holy Spirit. That's the fault of the man or woman. So it is not that the man or woman is in it has more power because they don't. What it is symbolizing is the Holy Spirit knows whom is going to receive the faith. You know, that that's just God knowing all things. And so if this person has a hard heart, they're not going to know Christ in the way that we know him. And that's just the way we look at it. So we understand that while God desires none to perish, that there will be some that do because they have hardened their heart. And if not just some, but many you know, Jesus makes that statement that broad is the path that leads to destruction and many are on it. Those are, those are the people who've hardened their hearts. God doesn't want them to perish because if we go all the way to Matthew 24 and 25, we see the, you know, especially in 25, we see the conclusion of judgment day and we see that Jesus is ushering the sheep into eternal uh, glory and the goats get ushered into the lake of fire, the eternal lake of fire where that, and it says that was prepared for the devil and his angels. This wasn't prepared for man. That w- The the eternal punishment wasn't a, a thing that God devised and thought before he created earth that he was going to create an eternal tormented place for all unbelievers to spend their time. That's at the fault of man. With sin and death entering the world, that is the fault of man to place himself there. And we can't blame God for it. It is our fault for those who go there. So this is why the preaching of the gospel is so vital. We go out and we preach and we preach and we preach and we share it with as many people as we can and we talk about it and we showcase the love and mercy of Christ to as many people as we can. So uh, I read verses 15 through 20. So let's look at these here. So if your brother sins against you, go tell him your fault. So these few verses here, verses 15 through 17, are pretty straightforward cut and dry. Um, your brother sins against you, you go and tell him your fault. If he rejects you, then you take a couple uh, others with you, and if that still is rejected, then you go to the church. And if he rejects the church, let him be to you as a gentile and a tax collector. Basically, just cast him off, forget about him. Re- you know, he's excommunicated. He is done. And so, if you are, you know, if, or if your brother has sinned against you, then you can take that to him and say, Hey, look, you know, you you did this and it really hurt me, and I want to see, you know, us be reconciled in this situation, and I want to forgive you, and I want you to forgive me, and see, oftentimes when uh, somebody sins against you, it's, you know, sin, sinning really is a one-way street, right, Um, but it is okay for you to say, I forgive you for what you've done to me, and that's actually what we are called to do, especially if we, if we remember in the Lord's Prayer, you know, we read through that and it says, uh, forgive me as I forgive others. We need to be forgiven as much as we need to forgive others. We should be at the forefront of the forgiveness aspect. It is the Christian's duty to take our faith and shine that out and say, you know what? We may never talk again. We may never have a relationship again. This may, this may divide us to the very end, but I forgive you. And, and maybe one day you can forgive me and you can forgive yourself. But I forgive you, and I want you to know that. See, forgiveness doesn't mean that all things are just going to be a okay in the world, and forgiveness doesn't mean that you're going to um, just f- be all la dah da afterwards, right? Forgiveness simply means I have taken your debt that you owe me and wiped it clean. I don't, I no longer hold anything against you. You are free from that, and so it's important for us to seek reconciliation it's important for us to seek the the aspect of your brother to uh, to repent of his sins and ask for forgiveness but it is also equally important for us to forgive that person because that torment and that pain sits in their soul and it is something that is going to torment them so by all means please Take the opportunity and forgive them first. That's how we start with reconciliation. And that's how we bring a brother or sister in Christ to repentance is by showing them that their sin is not out of the fold of the forgiveness of Christ. Everything under the sun can be forgiven except the disbelief. If you don't believe in Christ and you are asserting that Christ and his works are nothing more than the devil himself, then you are sinning and you're committing unforgivable sin. And that's not going to, I mean, that, that's the, that's what it's going to be. There's nothing that you can do, uh, outside of seeking for repentance upon that. But for those who are at that stage, they're long past the desirement of seeking forgiveness from God. So pretty cut and dry there. Those few verses, nothing, uh, extensive. I like though how it kind of progresses, right? If you, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him your fault. And if he listens, you've gained a brother, but if he does not listen, then you must take a couple others. So if your brother rejects your offer of forgiveness, you have to bring people as witnesses to that. And you have to repeat the situation. You have sinned against me. I forgive you. And this account must be taking place. There has to be evidence for these other people who are with you now. Then if that is still rejected, then you take him to the church and you let the church be the judge of it. And if the church has seen that this sin is maybe some sort of catastrophic sin, uh, and I'll give an example here in a minute, um, then that person be excommunicated. So on uh, Twitter, where all of this unfolded earlier this year, um, there's a couple individuals in the LCMS who are no longer a part of the LCMS. Uh, They have committed some ridiculous sins. They've made some uh, atrocious comments um, basically in support of uh slavery, segregation, the Nazis and I mean all this stuff and they claim to be Christians, claim to be, which is just baffling me. And they use the cherry-picked verses to truncate that, you know, black people are terrible and white people are supreme. And I mean it's just an a, it is a god awful situation for these men to be in to to think that they are right. And then they sit there and 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 blaspheming the church and these pastors and they and they run their mouth against anybody who doesn't believe and agree with their doctrine. Um, two of the members of this particular group have been excommunicated from the LCMS church, and yet they continue to spend their days on Twitter running their mouth and badgering all of these people. So the church sought the uh, the situation, and they sought to bring this person in for uh, a statement of repentance and he refuses and so the church excommunicated him that means he can no longer go to any lcms church and participate in worship and receive the, uh, the sacrament of the altar he has been forbidden from that until he repents of his sins so that's you know a real life situation that would kind of fit in this scenario but here in verse 18 it's kind of interesting. Jesus says, truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosened in heaven. And so this is a verse, again, that kind of has some deep implications if we don't handle it correctly. This is not talking about whether we can name something a sin or not a sin, or allowing us to take something that God has labeled to be sinful and deem it not sinful. For instance, homosexuality. Um, I think I've mentioned it before on the podcast probably a while back, but when I was looking for seminary schools years back, I was uh, visiting a ELCA school at the time. And so, yeah, you'll have to forgive me for that one. But I thankfully didn't go there. However, I did a campus visit and um, I was talking with a campus pastor and I asked him, I said, how do we reconcile, you know, some of these verses that kind of stand in contradiction to what you preach and what you believe? I said I'm not concerning about the Old Testament. I really want to look at what Paul writes in Romans chapter one and 1 Corinthians chapter six. I said those are two sections that really uh, lay out the the you know kind of notion that homosexuality is a OK, right? It, it, it basically says it's not, and yet you're telling me that it's OK. So how do you handle that? And he made this you know atrocious. Uh, argument that went back into Leviticus and talked about wearing two clothes or wearing clothes with more than two fabrics and eating shellfish and all that. I mean, all, I mean, he just went on and on and on about Levitical laws. And I said, no, I, I want to know about these passages in the New Testament. I said, I'm not concerned about the Old Testament. I understand its placement. The New Testament is my focus. And when you have Paul telling you that these things are forbidden sins, and yet here you are celebrating these sins, how do you reconcile that? And he used a verse very similar to this here in verse 18, but he quoted Matthew 16 on it that you know, the office of the keys. And basically he was asserting himself that being a pastor, he can determine what is sin and what is not sin. And that's not what the Bible is telling you. God says this is what sin is. And as a pastor, you are to say, This is what sin is. You echo that. However, what this passage is telling you is. If you have a person who is unrepentant, you bind them in that sin, you label them a sinner, you you dis, you declare that it is killing them, and then until they repent, they are not going to do X, Y, and Z. If I had a person in my church that was complete that was committing heinous, uh, ongoing sin and would not repent from that, I can re, I can first initiate a stopping of their partaking in communion. If they continue to do so, then the council in the church and myself can make a decision whether to excommunicate, excommunicate them or not. Those are extreme situations. However, you can bind a person in that sin and you can prevent them from partaking in certain aspects of the divine service if they will refuse to repent. With uh, the loosening though, this is where you forgive them of that sin. If they repent, you, un- you loosen the strings, the, the, the cords, the tightness that the sin that they were in, uh, involved with is now you know, forgiven and free from them. So that's how these verses work. It is not a manner that the pastor can pick and choose which one they want to use. That's not these verses. And so, you know, I was very adamant about this conversation with that pastor, and he's, you know, he's like, "Oh well, you know, I I really hope you come here to school because I'd really love to have these debates with you. You really seem to know what you're talking about." And and uh, but I gotta go. I gotta go do this and that or whatever. So, and then when I visited, I would admit I was pretty much at the height of my Calvinistic positioning. So I mean, I was just gung-ho hammering him on the low-hanging fruit. But the problem I feel like with the church is really more so just has forgotten that there are other sins out there than the uh, the sins of the LGBTQ. There are many other sins out there than, than that. And yes, while heinous and a good low-hanging fruit for the church to beat up on, it shouldn't be the focus of the church entirely to spend all of its waking efforts on badgering these people. We need to be a haven and an offering the gospel to these folks. And maybe they will renounce their sinful lifestyles and repent and turn to Christ. But we have to first be a place that we can preach the gospel to them. I'm not stating that the church needs to affirm or accept it, but we need to be a place of refuge. That is the church. It is a place that these people can seek safe harbor but they must be told the harsh truth, that their sin is going to damn them. Their sin will kill them, and they will spend all eternity in hell. And if they repent, then Christ will forgive them, and they can live you know—live towards Christ. But they will still struggle. Obviously, they will struggle in this sin. This is a, you know, a burden. And it's just like any addict, right? You can forgive an addict of alcohol pornography or any of these other things, drugs, whatever it be, gambling. You can forgive them of those sins. But yet there will be the temptations out there that are going to grind on their soul every single day. So we have to be very, I, I, I think the church has to be more gracious while still being firm. We have to assert that there are just some things that we have to deal with in, in bringing back the gospel to these the individuals. And sometimes that might seem like it's affirming or accepting, but it's not. We have to be a place of safe refuge we have to be a place where they can come and and be open and honest with themselves, but also hear that Christ is condemning them in their sins and that if they repent, they will be forgiven. So the the, the mantra of it is, right, we, we want to offer Christ forgives you of your sin, but you can't live in habitual sin. The, it, it can't be just Christ forgives you of your sin, go on, keep sinning. It's Christ forgives you of your sin, Now go on and don't sin anymore. That's the difference of offering the forgiveness of sin, but also equating to them the the effects that the law is going to place upon them. And that is for any sin. It doesn't matter what it is. We have to be able to lay down the law and say this sin is killing you. It's killing the people around you. And if you realize that, you will accept the fact that Christ can and does forgive you. But if you reject that Christ has forgiven you and you continue to live under the burden of the law, you are rejecting the forgiveness. Therefore, you will be no better than the goats on the day of judgment. So that's uh, how I would handle those two um, those those two aspects of tightening and loosening. Uh, he concludes this out. He says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. So 19 is kind of one of those interesting verses right it's but it's not a you know oh uh, you know honey I think we should get a Lamborghini and she says yeah absolutely let's pray about it and then we should get a Lamborghini no this is dealing with the issues right there's context to it it is a commonality of sin of dealing with the sin and that if these people uh, in the church have agreed upon this aspect excommunication or the acceptance of them back into the fold, Whatever the church has determined, that will be done by God the Father. So these are things um, that are dealing with matters with a sinning brother. It is not you know, winning the lottery or winning the, the job promotion or anything like that. It is solely dealing with helping or condemning a sinning brother, whether they will repent or accept the forgiveness and, and accept the forgiveness or they reject the promise and continue on in their sinful life. Verse uh, 20 here, where two or three or more gathered in my name, uh, I, there I will be among them. So the Jewish um, state, the Jewish Messiah states God's glory is present when two or three men are gathered uh, together to read the Torah. So here actions of believers are valid in heaven because of Jesus' presence among them. And this is something that really just kind of resonates, you know, especially when we have corporate worship, when we are gathered together to worship. God is present when we are gathered to handle uh, situations of sinning brothers and sisters. God is still present among us. It, you know, sometimes this can be used in the mindset of like, um, you know, sports or, or anything like that. You know, God is going to be with you because two believers are gathered together whatever it may. Be. I mean, it could be used in a whole plethora of things, but it's the, the verse context solely states around worship and the administration of church discipline. That's what this verse is really aiming towards. Everything else is kind of extra stuff. So, well, it's interesting. I've had to record this episode twice, but I'm so happy that I that I just scrapped the first show because it would have been terrible quality, and you guys would have probably stopped listening to my show if you haven't already stopped listening to it. But it would have been just god-awful. So I'm so thankful that you have... Uh, made it through. And I am so blessed that I redid this because it's my duty to produce good content for you. So thanks uh, everybody for listening. It is Friday. So make sure you are in church on Sunday and uh, we have uh, first communion for our confirmants and divine service and holy communion for the rest of the church. So I'm very excited for this Sunday. Big holiday season coming up. I'm I'm just ecstatic with all of these things that we get to partake in as the church. So, uh, thanks for tuning in ladies and gentlemen. God bless. Have a great weekend. We'll see you all. Later.